Today we begin our Advent series, which I've entitled Vintage Joy. So we're taking a break from our series in Mark's Gospel, and we're going to go next door to Luke's Gospel. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles uh, to Mark's next door neighbor, Dr. Luke, chapter 1. And what we'll see in Luke's Gospel is some of the crazy events that surrounded and led up to the birth of Jesus. And like any good story, there's drama and lots of it. There's messiness, there's confusion, and there's some supernatural, out-of-this-world, crazy stuff, wild stuff that happens, like an old lady and a virgin both getting pregnant. And there's a lot of joy. And Luke wants us to experience this joy in our lives right now. He wants us to experience this vintage joy in the midst of the drama and the mess and the craziness of our lives this holiday season. And what we'll see in this first section in Luke is this, is that God is working behind the scenes even when he can't be seen. Everything that is beginning to unfold in Luke's gospel is proof of God's grace and proof of God's commitment to his people and to his promises. Behind the scenes of a very dark period in Israel's life, in the nation of Israel's life, you have God working. He's busy working behind the scenes in some rather mundane moments. And it's true for our lives as well. If you investigate your life, you will find and you will discover God's grace all over the place. If you slow down and investigate your life, you will find the grace of God everywhere. You will find the DNA of his one-way love, his commitment to you all over your life. You can trace grace, the DNA of God's love, all over the place of your life. And that's exactly what we will see in Luke today. If you pick this chapter up, you get providence all over your fingers, all over your clothes. It's everywhere. God's providence is like glitter. You know how glitter is? Glitter just gets everywhere. And God's providence is that way because it is everywhere. So Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, hear the word of the Lord. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, There was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they both were righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. So we just popped into the story, and because it's already in progress, there's a few things that we need to brush up on. It's been some 400 years since the prophet Malachi last preached. It's been quiet. God has not spoken for over 400 years. For 400 years, God's people have not heard his voice. No prophet has been speaking. No miracle Miracles, it's just been quiet. It's been crickets. That's all you hear. 
from Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 through 6, the end of the Old Testament, all the way to Luke chapter 1, verse 13. It was all crickets. It's just one page in our Bibles that separate Malachi and Matthew, the Old Testament from the New Testament. But in real time, it was 400 years of God not speaking to his people. 400 years of crickets. And if that wasn't bad enough, the nation of Israel is also being ruled by one of Rome's biggest jerks, King Herod. Herod was a cruel and vindictive man. In fact, he even had some of his own relatives killed in order to protect himself and protect his power. We read in Matthew's gospel, where Matthew tells us that Herod ordered the killing of all these innocent babies of Bethlehem. After he heard that the king of the Jews had been born, Matthew tells us in chapter 2, verse 16, that Herod ordered the murder of all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old and under. This guy was a psycho. So we have to imagine the characters in Luke and what they've been thinking, what the nation of Israel has been thinking at this period in their history. What about all the prophecies about the Savior's coming in the Old Testament? Where is the Messiah, the Savior, the Redeemer that was prophesied to come and redeem his people? When will he come? Why has God been silent? Why has our God been so silent? Where are the prophets? How come they're not speaking? And how long do we have to suffer under the oppressive control of this lunatic named Herod? Those are the questions that God's people want answered. And Luke begins by telling us about a priest named Zechariah. Zechariah's name means Yahweh remembers. The Lord remembers. Now, think about this. There is a priest named Yahweh remembers. During the reign of an evil, wicked Roman king who was ruling over God's people. There is a priest named Yahweh remembers working in the temple after 400 years of silence. Luke is setting us up for something. In other words, Luke wants us to know that God is working behind the scenes in very subtle ways, even if he can't be seen. And Zechariah's name tips us off to that. And what we're about to see is that God is going to use Zechariah and Elizabeth, two common people who were faithfully serving Yahweh to accomplish his purpose of bringing the Messiah, his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. But Luke lets us know something else about Elizabeth. She is barren. She has no children. Contrary to our culture nowadays, children were seen as a blessing from the Lord in this day. That's not how most people view kids today, but they, children are a blessing. But Elizabeth was old. She's got gray hair. She's wrinkly. She's advanced in years, and her hopes for having children were dashed so long ago. But her situation is one that God can still work through. In fact, Elizabeth's story of barrenness echoes stories In the Old Testament, women like Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel and Manoah's wife and Hannah. The story of barrenness, this story 
of barrenness in Luke tips us off that God is once again acting in ways that he did in days of old in order to accomplish his divine purpose. When we hear that Elizabeth is barren, our ears are supposed to perk up. We're supposed to get curious and wonder if God is going to do something big. We're supposed to think, is God up to something again? There's a barren woman appearing on the pages of Scripture. Might God be up to something? And the answer is that God is about to do something very big. Jesus is about to do one of those old barren woman gets pregnant things that he does so well. Look at verse 8. Now, while Zechariah was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Okay, so all of this occurred at the time of prayer at the temple. Prayer would be offered after the morning sacrifice at 9 a.m. And then in the the evening or afternoon sacrifice at 3 p.m. A burnt offering was offered and then a, a, a priest would take incense into the, uh, inside the temple into the Holy of Holies and go to the altar of incense which was right before the veil going into the Holy of Holies. And the priest would take some of this incense and put it on hot burning coals and the smoke would fill the temple and this represented the prayers of the nation ascending up to Yahweh. Now, there was an order of 700 priests who served in this capacity only two weeks a year. They would do this. And scholars estimate that there were some two to maybe even 18,000 priests at this time. And yet, by lot, Luke tells us, Zechariah, Yahweh remembers, was chosen to go and offer incense and pray for the nation. Now, most priests would go their entire lives and never get this opportunity to take incense into the Holy of Holies and pray. And yet, Zechariah was chosen by Lot. He had never been able to do it before, and he would never be able to do it again. And so this is a big day for Zechariah. And Luke expects you to understand that this was not by chance. This was not by Lot. Luke expects you to know that the providence of God, the sovereignty of God is what caused the lot to fall to Zechariah. When Luke tells you that Zechariah was chosen by lot, he's saying to us, hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Luke expects you to know that providence caused the lot to fall to Zechariah. 
And so as Zechariah is praying, all of a sudden, an angel appears. You have to enter into the Holy of Holies, okay? And imagine this, into the temple, inside the inner court there. I'm sure Zechariah was being extra careful because this is a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for a priest. He wanted to get this right. He wanted to do it by the book. Maybe he's got a book saying, okay, take the incense. Okay, got the incense, yes. He's very detailed. He wants to get this right. And he wants to get this right, especially because the only thing that separated him from the presence of God was a veil. He was a few inches away from his death, right behind that curtain. The only thing that separated him from God's presence was this beautiful, ornate, colorful curtain. Zechariah knew his Old Testament. He knew stories of those who died when they approached Yahweh inappropriately. And so as he's doing this thing, all of a sudden, an angel appears. And so what is Zechariah thinking? It's over. I'm going to die. I messed up. I didn't do something right, and now I'm going to die. But what does the angel say in verse 13? Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Zechariah's prayer was heard. But what was his prayer? Was his prayer that Elizabeth would have a child? Was Zechariah in there praying for his old, barren wife Elizabeth to have a baby? I would argue no. Elizabeth was old. Two times Luke tells us here that Elizabeth was advanced in years. Besides... Zechariah went into the, the temple as a priest, on, as an official capacity as a priest. He was offering prayers on behalf of the nation of Israel. These prayers were for a Savior to come and redeem Israel. He's praying for the Messiah. Zechariah is not in there praying for Elizabeth to get pregnant and bear a child. He's praying for the Messiah to come and redeem Israel. Zechariah was praying that Adam's promised offspring would come and crush the head of the serpent. And God heard Zechariah's and Israel's prayer for a Savior. But how would the Savior come? How would Israel be redeemed? God would answer Zechariah's and the nation's prayer for the Messiah by also answering a prayer that Zechariah had probably stopped praying long ago. That Elizabeth would get pregnant. I'm sure... Zechariah and Elizabeth had quit praying for a child. They probably hadn't prayed this prayer for a long time, and yet God was gracious to not only answer Zechariah's prayer on behalf of the nation, but God was graciously answering their prayer for a child. And even more grace is seen when this child, that they never thought they would have, would have an integral part in ushering in the Messiah's kingdom. The angel then tells Zechariah that the boy's name will be John, which means Yahweh is gracious. The Lord is gracious. And so God graciously answered the prayers of the nation of Israel by answering the old prayers of an old barren couple. I mean, isn't God wild? Jesus does crazy things, doesn't he? Jesus is doing crazy things in your life right now. You might not see him at work, But oh, how Jesus is working overtime in your life right now, doing wild and crazy things to bring you good and to bring redemption out of the mess in your life. God is good. I was reminded of that last night. 
our oldest daughter, Tabitha, was going to bed, and it says, time to go to bed, and she said, oh, but can I read my Bible? You know, that's like the, the, that's like the official, you can delay bedtime thing. You can't tell your kids no. But she really wanted to read her Bible, and she was, and she turned to Psalm 136 and says, see, it says, the Lord is good. His mercies, you know, endure forever. His steadfast love endures forever. And she's like, see, it just, there's just this little refrain there. She didn't say refrain, but it keeps repeating this all the way through the psalm, Dad. And I was like, yeah, I said, that's awesome. And she said, it's also in Second Chronicles chapter 5. And I'm like, my kids reading Second Chronicles chapter 5? If anybody reads Second Chronicles chapter 5, you're my best friend. Well, then she told me, I said, how did you find that? She said, well, I just flipped open my Bible, and, and that verse was there. And I said, well, it doesn't normally work that way, okay? Unless you think that Tabitha's, you know, in love with Second Chronicles. I say all that to say that she reminded me last night that God is good. Some of you this morning need to be reminded of that, that God is good and he is working in your life right now over time, doing wild and crazy things to bring you good because he is good, because he is committed to you. Even though you can't see it with your eyes, even though you don't know what's happening, I can tell you what's happening in your life. You don't even have to tell me what's going on in your life. I can tell you right now, God is working to bring good, and he's probably doing something wild and crazy because that's how Jesus rolls. To bring redemption out of the mess in your life. And so God was answering the prayers of the nation of Israel by answering an old, outdated prayer for a child which was prayed long ago by a now very old couple. That's grace. And that's exactly what John's name means. Yahweh is indeed gracious. God is indeed good to his people. The pregnancy of Elizabeth is telling us that God is working behind the scenes even when he can't be seen. No one saw this coming. No one saw God doing this. Zechariah and Elizabeth never dreamed that God would answer their prayers for a baby, especially because they quit praying for a baby so many years before. But God was working behind the scenes, and he clearly was not being seen. It was not being anticipated by anyone in Israel that God would graciously give this old couple a baby. But God's story was unfolding as planned. Two old people's outdated prayers of long ago get answered by a gracious God who will use their baby, their son, to usher in Jesus the Messiah. The promise of John the Baptist is God reminding Israel that he is good for all the promises that he has made. The morning sickness of Elizabeth, registering her baby at Target, the kicking and the moving in the womb, not being to sleep, being able to sleep on her stomach for six or seven months, it's all pointing to God's commitment to his people and God's commitment to his promises. Doesn't that make you love Jesus? Doesn't that make you love him? Look at verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. 
I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Zechariah was confused. How can these things come true? I'm old. Elizabeth is old and barren. We get the senior citizens discount at restaurants now. How could she ever have a kid at this age? I mean, Zechariah and Elizabeth have been talking about retiring and, and purchasing a motorhome and, and doing some traveling. How can this be? Answer, God has the power to do it. Something that seems to have slipped Zechariah's mind as he is praying. God graciously demonstrated his ability to bring about what Gabriel said concerning Elizabeth becoming pregnant by causing Zechariah to go mute. In other words, the power that would cause Elizabeth to become pregnant was the same power that was about to make Zechariah go mute. Gabriel declared that he would go mute, and he did. Therefore, this was an assurance that God would not only allow him to speak one day, but also that the words concerning John would come true, that Elizabeth would have a baby boy. And so Gabriel the angel tells Zechariah, How he will know the prophecy will come true. He gives him a sign. He basically says, the power that causes you to go mute will be the same power that causes your wife to conceive. Why did they need a sign? Because it's not every day that an old gray-haired woman gets pregnant. It's not every day that someone who is enjoying their retirement gets pregnant. Zechariah's muteness was one of the signs that pointed to God's promises. And we have signs like this too, grace. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are signs and seals that point to God's promises and all that he is for us in his son Jesus. God knows that our faith can be weak. God knows that we struggle. God knows that we struggle with doubt and unbelief. And that's one reason why he gave us baptism and the Lord's Supper. So that in the weakness of our faith, we could see these signs and remember that God is faithful to his promises. Now, as a side note here, I do have to mention that uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth did their part. To use biblical language, he knew her. Okay, I think we all know what's going on here, right? They still had to do their part. And they did. And she conceived. So Elizabeth was out for five months hiding and waiting. Imagine, she's an old woman. She gets on Facebook. Hey, everybody, just my, son, my husband just was in the temple and was told that we're going to be pregnant. Yay! Everyone's like, what? I think you've been hacked. <laughs> she's out for five months hiding and waiting. She's waiting for the time would come when she would begin to show so that she could show people that she wasn't some crazy old cat lady who was claiming that she got pregnant, she waited until she could give them proof. Sometimes you have to wait for God in private, not making a scene, not having to defend yourself. 
not having to speak up, just sitting back and resting and waiting on God to do what he is going to do for you. And that takes trust. Waiting takes trust. Especially when you want to jump in and defend yourself. You wait for grace to show up at the right time. You wait for vindication. Listen, if you're not a, Christ, a Christian today, let me tell you something about following Jesus, about being a disciple. Christianity involves a lot of waiting. In fact, it's like that's all we do. That's what Advent is. We're waiting for Jesus to come back. If you hate waiting, you won't like being a Christian. If you don't like waiting and you are a Christian, get used to it. Christians wait a lot, like the great theologian Tom Petty said. The waiting is the hardest part. But understand this, Grace. God often waits until we're out of ideas before he shows up and reveals his plans. God waits until we're completely out of ideas before he shows up and reveals his plans. Why? Because God wants our hearts, not just our attention. God does things to get our attention, but it's not our attention that he wants. He wants our hearts. Sometimes life gets so messy and it seems out of control. And what is God doing then? One thing he is doing is trying to get our attention But he doesn't just want our attention. He doesn't just want our attention at this church. We've had a lot of hardships lately, a lot of suffering here lately, a lot of wondering, what in the world are you doing, God? And I would say that God has our attention right now, right? But that's not all he wants. He wants our hearts. Don't shortcut this process. If he has your attention, don't just pay attention. What he really wants is your heart. Are you suffering? Are you wondering what and why things are the way they are in your life right now? God's getting your attention so that he can get your heart. He loves you so much. He's doing things and allowing things to get your attention because he wants your heart. Because when he has your heart, he's glorified and you are satisfied. And then you rest. We shouldn't be surprised when we don't understand what a God who says he passes all understanding is doing. We shouldn't be surprised when we don't understand what a God who says his ways are higher than our ways is doing. He's beyond us. So tell me, why are we surprised when he does crazy things that we can't explain? And so God graciously removed the reproach of Elizabeth. It was commonly believed in that time that to be barren meant that you were under a curse from God. So Elizabeth is rejoicing at God's sovereign grace. It was clearly a hopeless position to be in. An old man and an old barren woman. Both quit praying for a child and yet God intervenes. It was clearly a hopeless position to be in. The nation of Israel was under the oppression of Rome waiting for the Messiah to come to deliver them. And God was beginning the process. His story, the plan of redemption was unfolding. God is working behind the scenes even when he can't be seen. 
Listen, before we can begin to understand what God is doing in our lives, our circumstances can look all wrong. Before we ever begin to understand what God is doing in our lives, our circumstances most likely will look completely wrong. And it can look like God is silent, like he is absent from our lives. It can look and it can feel all wrong. And that's why it's a fight of faith. And that's why we may be tempted to think that God's inactivity is unloving. When God is absent, when he is hidden, like he was for 400 years, for these people, it can seem like there is no hope. When God doesn't respond according to our timetable, and let's be honest, we all want him to, right? Oh, man, when you just think about how, I'm just struck right now, just how arrogant and prideful that is to be like, God, do this right now my way. Oh, man. I'm so glad he's merciful. When God doesn't respond according to our timetable, when he doesn't show up the way we wish he would, we begin to entertain thoughts that he's not loving and that he perhaps he doesn't care. But his inactivity according to our schedule is actually him loving us. God's inactivity according to our schedule, it's actually him loving us. We think he's being inactive. We think that he's hidden, but he's actually working behind the scenes. He's loving us, working behind the scenes for our good. He doesn't always answer right away just to help refocus us on him. How easy it is to forget this basic truth. You see it all over the Bible. It's like glitter, right? It's all over the pages of Scripture. God's providence, His sovereignty, that God is working behind the scenes all over the pages of the Bible. It's like glitter. It's everywhere. It's before our very eyes, and yet sometimes we can't see it, even on the pages of Scripture. The theological term for this is providence. And the Westminster Confession of Faith describes God's providence this way. God, the great creator of all things, doth uphold, direct, dispose, and govern all creatures, actions, and things from the greatest even to the least by his most wise and holy providence according to his infallible foreknowledge and the free and immutable counsel of his own will to the praise of the glory of his wisdom power, justice, goodness, and mercy. I love that sentence. I read this little sentence in the Westminster Confession of Faith all the time to be reminded that Jesus has got this. And so behind the scenes of all of our lives, even this holiday season, even in the season of Advent, the season of waiting, we know that this is happening. Our Heavenly Father is upholding and directing and disposing and governing all creatures, all actions, all things, from the greatest even to the least, from the most significant to the most mundane, by His most wise and holy providence. That, my friends, ought to be enough to get you through the next week. Ralph Davis describes providence this way. Providence is God's way of providing for the needs of his people. That's not all of it, but some of it. When I use providence here, I mean 
that wonderful, strange, mysterious, unguessable way Yahweh has of ruling his world and sustaining his people and his doing it frequently over, under, around, through, or in spite of the most common stuff of our lives or even the bias of our wills. I've told you this before, but following Jesus is really a lot about trusting Jesus now and understanding him, understanding what he is doing later. The Christian life is not about trying to figure out what God's doing. It's about faith. It's about trust. It's about not trying to make sense of things. It's about trust, childlike trust. Charles Spurgeon said, you always want to see through providence, do you not? Well, you never will, I assure you. Honor God by trusting him. So let's get personal now. What about your story? Where are you struggling to believe that God is working behind the scenes in your life? What's happening in your life right now during the Christmas holidays that's causing you to say that you can't see what God is doing, what he's up to? Where have you been waiting? In this season of Advent, in this season of waiting, where have you been waiting for God to show up? And he hasn't. What's going on in your life that makes you think that God has forgotten you and that maybe he doesn't care? Are you wondering today why what is happening is happening? Well, today you too right now, just like Zechariah and Elizabeth, you have run right into the providence of God. You have run right into it. This moment of your life, with everything that's going on, you have run right into God upholding and directing and disposing and governing all creatures, all actions, all things, from the greatest even to the least, from the most, most, most significant to the most mundane, by his most wise and holy providence. You have run into that wonderful, strange, mysterious, unguessable way Yahweh has of ruling his world and sustaining his people and his doing it frequently like he does over and under and around and through or in spite of the most common stuff of our lives and even the bias of our wills. What we want, God says, I'll go around it. I'll go through it, I'll go under it, I'll go over it. I'm not doing what you want. I'm going to go around and do what I want. And it's going to be wild, it's going to be strange, it's going to be crazy, it's going to be out of this world, and you're not going to understand it until one day, but you know what, I'm going to be glorified through it. You may not see God moving right now in your life, and you may not understand what is happening in your life right now, but you will soon, someday, maybe sooner, Maybe later, but one day in this life or in the next, you will know for certain that God is working behind the scenes even when he can't be seen. Right now, you may not understand what God is doing in your life, but one day you will. So you can trust him. And you can trust me when I say to you that you will never regret for one moment any time that you trust God. You will never ever regret for one moment, any time that you said, I'm going to trust God. I promise you, you won't regret it. 
You will never be disappointed for trusting in God's promises. You will be glad for every time you chose to hang on by faith to the truth of what you know about your God. And so when you can't trace God's ways, you trust God's word. God is there in the waiting when you can't see him. Trust him when you can't see him. When you can't trace God's ways, trust God's word. Why is providence working this way in Zechariah's life? It's to bring about redemption, to usher in the saving work of Jesus. What was going on in Zechariah and Elizabeth's life is so that you and I would be sitting here today believing the gospel. Do you think about that? He saw an angel. He didn't believe. He became mute so that John would be born, so that Jesus would come and live and die and be resurrected so that you and I would believe that right here. You might see Gabriel in heaven and say, I showed up and I was thinking about you that day. You were going to come in here. Why is providence working in this way in Zechariah's life? To bring about redemption, to usher in the saving work of Jesus. Why is God doing what he's doing in your life right now? To bring about redemption, to usher in the saving grace of Jesus, to usher in the transforming grace of Jesus, to make you more like Christ, to get your attention in order to get your heart. You're going through what you're going through now, a few reasons, to make you more like Jesus, and so that God can get your attention, so that he can have your heart. You may be thinking today, what are you doing, God? Why is this happening? What is going on? And the answer is that he is at the very least doing two things. God is doing some wild, crazy things for his glory, and he's doing some wild, crazy things for your good in order to get your heart. That's how God works. That's what we see in Luke chapter 1. He takes the seemingly forgotten, the outcast, the insignificant, the misfits, and he shows them his kindness and greatness by glorifying himself through them and sometimes in the most surprising ways. Zechariah didn't understand all that God was doing because he didn't have all the pieces to the puzzle. He had to trust. Now, he didn't at first, but then he had to live with the sign that would help him trust, being mute. But in time, it would all make sense and become clearer. And that's how providence works. When you look back, you begin to see how and what God was doing. It's when we wait, and sometimes wait for years, that we look back and then begin to see what God was doing behind the scenes of our lives. It's like what Puritan John Flavel said. Some providences, like Hebrew letters, must be read backwards. You know, Hebrew reads from right to left, so it's backwards for us. That's how providence is sometimes. Some providences are like Hebrew letters. They must be read backwards. Flavel also said, providence is like a curious piece of tapestry made of a thousand shreds, which, single, appear useless. But put together, they represent a beautiful history to the eye. Listen, you only have one piece of the puzzle right now. You just have one piece. But one day, you will see the complete picture. Some providences, some actions of God's sovereignty are like Hebrew letters. You have to read them 
backwards. But one of these days, we'll all read backwards and see just what God was doing in every situation of our lives. Zechariah was hanging on to God's promises, hanging on to the old promises, even though there had been no new work from God for 400 years. God was silent, and Zechariah and company still believed. And isn't that how it is in our lives today? God seems silent sometimes. And what do we do? We have to hang on to God's promises, that he's working behind the scenes even though he can't be seen. But Zechariah encourages us too because aren't we like him in that we believe, we don't believe, we believe, we don't believe. I believe your promises, God. Yes, that was the best quiet time ever. Fifteen minutes later, you get a phone call. I don't believe anymore. We believe, we don't believe. So are we really going to throw Zechariah under the bus this morning for seeing the angel and not believing? Are we really going to throw him under the bus for not believing Gabriel's words? We would do the same thing. We're so fickle. And that's why Jesus came to save us because we could never do it ourselves. We feel forgotten by God sometimes, but Jesus really was forgotten and forsaken on the cross for us and for our sins. As the prophet Isaiah says, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. On the cross, Jesus was momentarily forgotten, forsaken, afflicted, and separated from God the Father so that we never would be. All that was happening in Zechariah and Elizabeth's life was moving the story along to the cross. And so Christmas really is the precursor to Easter. The birth of Jesus really proves that God keeps his promises. It proves that you are not forgotten because God can never forget his own. And so the wonder of Christmas is that we weren't forgotten. God has not forgotten us ever. God showed up in the lives of people who may have been thinking He's forgotten us. And so God became man to rescue us from our sin, to bring us into fellowship with himself so that we would know that he would never leave us or forsake us. He made himself nothing, identifying with the lowly and the despised people of this world to show that no one is forgotten regardless of their circumstances. You are not forgotten this Christmas or any time of year. Let me repeat that. You are not forgotten by God this Christmas. In the manger where this little baby lay so many years ago is proof of that. We are not forgotten. And that's some vintage joy that you can enjoy right now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we are not forgotten. We, we should be, God, because we're a mess and we're unlovable, but you make us lovable because of your love. And so we thank you for what you are doing behind the scenes in Luke chapter 1 because it involves us. We're a part of this story, Father, and you're bringing 
redemption even out of the mess of our lives right now. Help us to trust. Holy Spirit, help us to trust you. When our faith is weak, when we're weak and seems hopeless, shine the light of the gospel on our hearts again and help us to remember that Jesus does wild and crazy things for his glory and the good of his people. In his name we pray.